Welcome to the Every Breath Counts podcast. My name is Ryan Shecklin. Each week, I interview experts and leaders about their stories and strategies on how to optimize your mind, your body, your career, and your life so that you can make every breath count. Thank you for investing your time in the show and yourself. Now, let's get started. Melody Beattie said, Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. And the Dalai Lama said, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. My guest today is Kelly Calabrese. Kelly is a three-time best-selling author, speaker, and nationally renowned fitness trainer. Kelly not only lived the life of an entrepreneur, owning and selling gyms in the New York City area, she continued her journey after starting a family utilizing her skills as the lead fitness expert for eDiets.com, the world's leading fat loss website. Kelly and I talk about her latest book, Success Habits of Super Achievers, and she shares the most impactful habits to implement now to supercharge your success. Kelly recently went through a divorce from her husband of 24 years and sparked a passion within her to help others overcome trauma and adversity in their own lives and come back stronger to live a life of gratitude and happiness. If you want to build a deeper, more meaningful relationship at home or at work, this episode is for you. If you know anyone that could benefit from hearing how to recover from trauma, share this episode with them. And if this is your first time here, welcome and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to click the subscribe button to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you found this episode inspiring, educational, or entertaining, I would be grateful if you gave us a five-star rating wherever you listen and tag me on Instagram at Every Breath Counts Podcast with any feedback. Without further ado, Kelly Calabrese. Kelly Calabrese, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It is my honor and pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Kelly, you are an Amazon bestselling author. Most recently, you you wrote a book called Success Habits of Super Achievers. So look, let's start right there. If you can name one habit, one habit that all super achievers have, what would it be? A great morning routine, really starting off that day, setting it up for success. And typically, the things that you find is that morning routine includes quiet time. It includes Mm. gratitude. It includes some type of breath work, some movement, and ultimately some good nourishment, which doesn't necessarily have to be in the early morning hours. Sometimes it's pushed a lot later. You'll find that a lot of super achievers do intermittent fasting. So they're they're eating less but more quality and they have a longer fasting and a shorter feeding window. Yeah. So this is always funny because you talk about these morning routines and you kind of take a look and you're like, okay, breath work, fitness, food. Like, like how long is this supposed to take, right? <laughs> super achievers don't have a lot of time. So how do we consolidate like a strong morning routine? And look, you're in incredible shape. You've been a trainer. Actually, I believe in 2004, you were the top trainer in the, in the country. Um, so how do you consolidate like a really impactful morning routine into a short amount of time? 
Uh, you know what? I get up two hours before my first appointment. So whatever that first appointment is, I back it up two hours. And I heard um, Martin Luther King one time say the more important, urgent, impactful that the day he had was, the more time he needed in quiet, in prayer, in contemplation, in you know, being with his mentors and leaders before the important things happen. So really setting your day up for success gets you in the right mindset, the right energy, the right flow. So I like to give myself two hours because I don't want to be rushed. I don't want to be unprepared. I want to be in the right state of mind, the right energy, have the clarity, feel good about myself. And now whatever happens in between the day is going to be awesome because I always bookend my day with success at the start and at the end. And anything in the middle that happens is an awesome bonus. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, can wrap their head around the idea of getting up a little early, having a nutritious breakfast, um, maybe even getting a workout in. But gratitude is something you mentioned. And I think it's essential to at least search for things to be grateful for, whether it's in the beginning of your day, whether it's at the end of your day. So, I mean, how can someone that wants to be a high achiever, how can they actually incorporate gratitude into like a morning routine? Gratitude is a superpower. So when I first started doing gratitude, I committed for a year to journal every single day. So I kept it by my bed, chose to do it at night. And when I first started doing the gratitude, it was like, well, I took my vitamins today. And it was kind of really matter of fact, checking boxes kind of thing. But then as time went on, I was like, nobody got to have the day that I had today. Like I got to talk to this person and I got to read this book. And I mean, it just became like, oh my goodness. So I would go through my day making notes all day long. Don't forget to be thankful for this. Don't forget to record that tonight. So you start looking for things to be thankful for throughout your day. And you're like, oh my goodness, like this came in the mail today. How cool was that? Someone sent me a book or you're just looking. And when you are thankful, that's how the world works. It's a flow of giving and receiving and giving and receiving. And when you're thankful for things, people want to give you more things and then you become more generous. You want to give people more things because you know how good it feels to receive. And some people are really good givers, but not good receivers. And you really need to be both because you can't give from an empty place. So it just, it's a, just a universal principle. It's how life works and gratitude is part of it. That's such a cool idea. I love the idea of gamification of gratitude. You're like, oh man, look at all the things I did today to be grateful for. It's such a, it's such an interesting concept because you know I think a lot of people go through life and they just think, like I didn't have anything today to be grateful for. And I would encourage those people to take a step back and really look at it. And I did have someone tell me one time that you don't have to look at the big things. A lot of times it's the small things. Like, you know, oh, hey, someone smiled at me today. Or I, look, I have headphones. I have a cell phone. I can listen to music today. And you can be grateful for that. And I think if you search for things, then you'll end up finding something to be grateful for. I agree. I was in a movie called The Compass with Joe Vitale. And Joe had one of those from like living in his car kind of stories to now being one of the world's top achievers in terms of personal development and writer and and so on. And he said when he was at his lowest, when he was at the bottom, and he was like, okay, something told him to start with gratitude. He looked around and all he could find was a pencil. And he was like, I've got a pencil. I'm going to start with this pencil and I'm going to be thankful for it. 
And then it just started to go from there. And then you become so thankful. When you have nothing and you get something, it's like, I am so thankful for this. And so, you know, people who come to this country as immigrants with, you know, a hundred bucks in their pocket and go on to become millionaires and billionaires because they have what that, you know, that edge of being a, a refugee or an immigrant or when you're coming from someplace where you're, you really have nothing <laughs> and then you gain things, you're thankful. Yeah. I, I always go back to this idea of you kind of like follow where you focus. And you notice it a lot of times when you're driving. And I'm not sure, uh, you know, maybe someone's listening to this driving right now. But if you ever find yourself just kind of like looking off, right? Like maybe you're looking off to the side of the road. Maybe you're kind of staring and get distracted in the middle of the road. And your car always tends to follow the gaze of your eyes. And it's this crazy idea because you're like, oh, well, that's where my focus was. That's where I was looking. So anytime I tell someone, well, if you're looking at gratitude, if you look for it, you'll find it. It's going to follow you. You're, you're, you're going where you're focused on. You know, you're seeing what you're focused on and your body is going to move in that direction. So if you can actually bring focus to something like gratitude, like success, then you're going to end up going towards that, which is kind of cool. But I also want to know a little bit about your backstory because you've had a pretty amazing career. I mean, you've been a trainer. You have dominated the fitness industry. You're an author. So kind of where does your story start in terms of, you know, graduating with, with three degrees out of college? When I was 13, I was always a journaler and I wrote in my journal, I will be an exercise therapist. Really didn't know exactly what that meant, but I just knew I wanted to be well and I wanted to help people be well. And that came from, we do things to move away from pain and towards pleasure. So the pain was a really strong family history of heart disease, diabetes, mm. obesity, cancer, alcoholism, stroke. And I looked at all that and went, oh, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. But I was also really happy when I was running, dancing, jumping, softball, cheerleading, I mean, running, anything moving. I just got this endorphin high. I was like, what do people not get about this? Like, This is amazing. And so I had to wait till I was 17, but I got certified as a fitness professional back then and went on this journey to get three degrees by the time I was 22 with high honors and went on to own and operate and open up multiple health clubs. And I managed about nine corporate fitness centers for companies like Calvin Klein and BMW. And I founded a school to help people become certified as fitness professionals. Because back then, this is like late 80s, early 90s, there weren't a lot of personal trainers. So I had to train them. And then 2000 hit and my son was born. And that was a turning point for me where I looked at the life I had built, which was awesome, but it wasn't congruent with the kind of mom that I wanted to be. So thankfully, I had a partner who was able to buy me out and I came home and I had this baby and I uh, was pregnant right away with my daughter. They're 14 months apart. They're now 20 and 21, but really wow. came and looked at, you know, what can I do to contribute to my industry on a really high level, but still be this stay-at-home mom who gets to raise her family. So I started writing, speaking, consulting, editing, spokesperson, media work, fitness boot camps, network marketing. I mean, really anything that would allow me to help people be well and live in what I call divine health, but still give me a great lifestyle and the opportunity to have a pretty luxurious, blessed and giving lifestyle as well. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. And where I want to start, um, because Another best-selling book that you wrote was Mom and Dadpreneurs. 
And I love the fact that you had this corporate job. You you were an entrepreneur because you started uh, fitness industry. You owned and operated um, some gyms and fitness centers. Uh, but in a way, you did take a step back and said, "Well, I'm kind of done with this corporate thing. I wanna, I wanna have a little bit more flexibility and control my own maybe time, but also energy, career." So, what did you learn from operating some fitness industries, from working in that industry, that you were able to take with you to become an entrepreneur? That's a great question. Well, in those first years, the first nine years when I was in the trenches in the health club, you learn a lot. You learn about marketing, you learn about sales, Mm. you learn about hard work. And I hired consultants to come in and teach me those things. I have three science degrees. I didn't have business degrees, but I grew up in a family where my parents owned delis, restaurants, pizzerias. So I kind of saw how the operations worked and I knew the sweat and the equity that it took to make things happen. So I wasn't afraid to work hard. I wasn't afraid to find mentors and and figure things out. So, you know, you make lots of mistakes and you learn along the way. And so customer service, I mean, I learned so much in those first nine years, even negotiating and being inside corporate facilities was different than being in a, you know, sort of a family fitness center. So I was really blessed to do all those things. And then when I started on my own, the internet was really just getting going in Mm, 2000. And I was fortunate that I saw an article in Shape Magazine that said weight loss on the web, which was still really new. I mean, Weight Watchers wasn't even online yet. And so I applied to all of the companies. I just wrote them and said, hey, this is awesome. You're doing weight loss on the web. Would you like to do fitness on the web? And a company called eDiets hired me. They were the largest online subscription company at the time in that weight loss space. And they brought me on as their lead fitness expert. So then I really got introduced to doing a lot of media and doing things online, you know, way before COVID. (laughs) I was doing all those online meetings back in 2000. And so it all just builds on to the next thing. So lots of mentors. I've always been in masterminds as early as like, 2003. I remember being in a mastermind. I was the only woman with all men, but just willing to surround myself by people who were doing amazing things and to learn from them because we're we're either going to learn from wisdom or struggle. And I way prefer wisdom over struggle, although both are good. Yeah. So what what exactly is a mastermind? Because I know, you know, a lot of people probably listening to this are saying, like, I don't know how to get started. I don't know how to get started as an entrepreneur. I don't know, I don't know where to look. And I know masterminds and masterclass and all these new online forums for learning are are becoming huge right now. So, you know, what specifically is a mastermind and what did it do for you to kind of take the plunge into this uh, entrepreneurial journey? That's a great question. Right now, I'm in two masterminds, and they're both very different. Basically, it's when a group of like-minded people who have something in common. So it could be your industry. If you're in real mm-hmm. estate or you know, whatever profession you're in, it could be a mastermind around your industry where a group of people come together and you're not emotionally attached or financially attached in any way. But you bring your ideas together and you try and figure out a way to make it better with the resources that all of you may have. People like Rockefeller, I mean, you know, way back over 100 years ago, Henry Ford, 
he didn't know everything about how to build a car, but he pulled in an engineer and an architect and an accountant and, you know, certain people together to help him figure it out. <laughs> so um, they go way back to, I mean, you could read books like Think and Grow Rich, which talks about masterminds yeah. from way back when. But basically, um, you can start your own by finding high-level people around you. You can join one in your industry or find one that has something in common that is a core value of yours or something that you want to build or grow. Um, One of the ones that I'm in, it's very organic. The common denominator is strictly personal development. And there are Mm. surgeons, there are investors, there are all kinds of different people, even yoga instructors, I mean, big mix of people. But personal development is the commonality and it's very organic. High, high level people are in there. The other one that I'm in is almost a, I'll say Tony Robbins-esque, where it's very much a program where you have assignments and you have trainings and you have accountability and you've got small groups and um, deadlines and points are capped and you literally lay out an entire life plan for the year and you check in on that every week and you have, you know, penalties and rewards and points. And so, uh, so it almost feels like a job, but it keeps you going. There's something about the accountability and just wanting to step up and run when you are with people around you doing great things it just keeps you really on track and running faster than you would on your own. So if you're an entrepreneur, a lot of times you're a solopreneur, meaning you don't, may not have this whole team. And sometimes you can't bring the things back to your team that you're struggling with or you're making decisions on. It's the things that you can go to a room and it's totally private, totally confidential that you can share, get things out of you, be vulnerable, be honest, be real, share the numbers and then go take it back to your world and, and make the decisions that you need to. I love this. This is this is something that I've never done. And um, like as you're talking about it, I'm thinking in my head, like as I as I kind of pursue this journey, podcasting, entrepreneurship, like this would be really helpful. So if I was to look for a mastermind, like what are the what are the biggest three things that I should be looking for in a group? Like, first of all, how do you find them? But also as I'm looking, what should I be looking for in a mastermind or even any sort of collaborative group? Well, decide what you want to get out of it first. It always helps to reverse engineer. So what are you looking yeah. to get out of it? Um, I would look for a track record of success. So I would want to talk to some of the people who are current and former members and hear what they got out of it. Um, what is the goal and the mission of the group? And really, it's mm. about people. It's about the quality of the people in the group that really make the difference. They become some of your best friends. You might collaborate on projects, on books, but you want people ahead of you. And then you also, you want to contribute something as well. So you want to have something that you can bring, bring to the group. I always want to be like the smallest, least experienced, you know, dumbest one in the room. That's the room that I prefer to be in. Although obviously, you know, I have something that I can bring that others don't have. And it's an honor when you get asked to present as well. So I'm sure that there are podcasting masterminds out there. I have not personally searched for those, but I would say, you know, if that's you want to grow to the greatest podcast in the world, I'd be studying the best podcasters and I'd be asking them and then, um, you know, see what you can find in a search and then see if you can come in as a guest for 30 days and do a trial mm-hmm. run before you make an investment. Because some, some of these are tens of thousands of dollars a year. So make sure that you're getting value. 
No, that makes so much sense. So then when you say people, you're really referring to the community and not necessarily an inst- Is it even an instructor? I mean, how's There's that? always a leader. There's typically going to be one person okay. who's always a leader. And, you know, you want to check that person out, make sure they're highly revered. They've got a good background and they have a lot to offer. You want to make sure it's organized and it's got a good track record. So, yes, there needs to be a leader. Even if that person can be a student, someone's got to keep it organized, keep it on track. and be there to you know lead and manage the group. So what do you what do you know now that you wish you knew when you're getting started as an entrepreneur? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say um, investing is probably the thing that I wish I had done better. You know, I've always been good at just serving people and you know over delivering and that kind of stuff. Um, but I wish I had. One of my commitments right now is to really build wealth. So I've made a lot of money and I've you know got money in the bank and beautiful things in the world, but really wish I had paid more attention to wealth creation. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's one of the things I'm focused on right now. Um, and I feel like I'm only getting started again, even though, you know, I'm, I'm, I do well. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, wow, you know, we, we really kind of squandered a lot or we weren't careful about this or those things. Looking back, really weren't as important as we thought, but we can't change it. We enjoyed vacations and cars and all the things. But I would be more considerate about my dollars and how they were allocated. And uh, I'm looking forward to multiplying what I have now and in a big, big way and just blessing more people and having more fun. I love that. So you're on an interesting journey and your life has kind of gone through ups and downs and highs and lows. And it seems like you're in a really good place right now. But I do know that the past couple of years haven't been easy for you. So can you kind of take me from your journey? Because you you did, you know, you're married, you had these beautiful children, you started a career. And one of the things that you're really doing right now is you're helping people that have gone through or going through a divorce and helping them to kind of get up and start their life back up. So like, what's your journey been? And, and how did you get into this passion right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously, personal experience, out of the pain comes the passion. And I've always been a knowledge person. And when I was married for 25 years, and, you know, things aren't perfect, but, you know, they're, they're kind of going along. And then I had yeah. the shocking news that my husband of 25 years said, my commitment to our marriage is zero. And he left. And literally, the, the mom and dad newer book was coming out in 30 days of that announcement. So totally just felt like a tornado came in, blew up my world, left this gaping hole in my heart. It was so painful that I went on a three-year, what I lovingly call a sabbatical, where it was my healing journey. And I was going to do whatever it took to feel well, to heal, to get out of the sadness, the anger, the bitterness, the depression, to a place of not only healthy again, I was physically healthy, but it was really emotionally and building this amazing new bonus, incredible life that was better than I ever could imagine. Nobody has the story that they thought they would have. But at the time that I got divorced, I had eight pretty close friends that were also going through divorce. And I just watched what everyone was doing. And because I'm wired for health, I'm always wired as best as possible to do things healthy. So I was already 
healthy, you know, financially and physically and in other ways, but this emotional thing really threw me. So what I notice is some people are going to isolate. Some people are going to try to escape. Some people are going to turn to drugs or, you know, they're another man. I mean, what they're going to do something. So I'm like, wow, I really want them to do something healthy. And think about the people, you know, who go through a big disappointment, whether it's a breakup or a job loss or something, and they just stay stuck. And you can just tell when you meet them and they come in the room and that energy is like, and the victim energy is the lowest, most awful place to vibrate. It is just not a good place to live. So we can be there in a moment. Bad stuff happens. There's accidents and bad news and relationship breakups and businesses fail, but you got to get up from that victim place. So on my three-year journey, I did all the things. I did divorce recovery. I went on the retreats. I read the books, listened to the podcasts, went to the church services. And I handpicked the best of the best of all the things that really moved the lever and made the difference in getting to a healthy place. And I created a course. It's called Intentionally Fabulous Single Redefined. And I am on a mission to help women going through separation, divorce, and post-divorce to rebuild, get through the grief, get healthy, and then really get excited about this vision of creating something amazing in the future. Yeah, I absolutely want to get into this recovery, but I am curious because the way you describe this is really interesting to me. You said that your husband came home and said, I'm not committed to this relationship anymore. I don't, I'm not committed to this love anymore. I mean, tell me more about that. Like, obviously, how did it feel? But like, what does it even mean? Yeah. You know, looking back, it was a slow fade, you know, as much as that moment was shocking and I could really just feel my soul tear because I was so committed to our marriage. And for me, it was till death do us part, even if I wasn't happy and we were kind of both limping along. Um, But he was reengaged within a month of our divorce and our divorce happened in 30 days in the state of Texas. You have to wait 30 days. And so, um, it, it was shocking, you know, all of that, just a lot of unreasonable, difficult things that happen in a short amount of time. But it's never 100% your spouse and 0% you. It's just not. So part of this journey was looking at what was my part? How did I play a role in this? How was I responsible for it? So, you know, there was a lot of dynamics. We were very, very different. I was, you know, first born, very driven, college degrees. He was the baby of the family and, you know, kind of did his thing professionally trying to find his way. Um, We were different fitness levels. I mean, our, our core values were similar but uh, he just got to a point where he decided he was no longer committed or engaged. And so whether he had the courage to move on or the cowardice to move on, he did. <laughs> well, moving on nonetheless, right? I mean, that, that is the important part. It's funny you say that you guys had like different fitness levels. Uh, one of the stats when I was, when I was preparing for this that I, I saw was that couples are more likely to break up if only one partner is a heavy drinker and the other is not than if both partners have the same drinking habits, even if they're heavy. And that hit me so hard. I was like, hold on, you can have like two alcoholics in a happy marriage together. But if one is drinking and the other isn't, then it's going to create friction. So I'm curious to know, like from your perspective, I mean, do you need to be moving in the same direction in every area or like, Tell me more about this idea. 
Yeah, not every area, but your core values, the big things really need to be the same. So for me now moving forward, not to say I've got this list about this new man, but there's just some things that are non-negotiables. For example, I'm not a drinker. So if someone casually drinks, that's probably fine. But if they're drinking every night and they're drinking heavily, that that's just a no. That That's an absolute no for me. That is not going to work. I can't go into any relationship thinking I'm going to change someone, which was an yes, issue when I was yes. 22 and he was 33 when I met my husband. You know, he was 11 years older than me and I was a coach. You know, I thought I can fix this. I can change oh, this. Oh, no. For 26 years, I tried to change a man who didn't want to be changed. So you have to figure out what's important to you. Fitness is important to me. Um, again, if they drink some, that's fine. I'm totally fine with that. But if it's a, you know, alcoholic, that is not going to work. Smoking is not going to work for me. Uh, they're going to need to love to travel and they're going to need to be, you know, fun and all those things. They're going to need to love healthy food. I don't mind if they have fast food once in a while, but again, it's the core values that you've got your non-negotiables that it's just never going to work if the core things don't line up. Now, never going to be perfect. Do not go for perfection. That's a whole other, it's a whole other podcast on perfectionism. That is an awful place to live, but yeah. the important things need to be congruent. Otherwise it's really going to be difficult and painful <laughs> to try and happily adventurously coexist. That's a, that's a really, you know, you said like, oh, well, I was a coach. I, I figured, oh, I could change. I could fix him, right? And I think that's a really important thing to look into is like when you're starting a relationship and when you're getting married, it's unfair to think that you're going to change someone. And it's selfish in a lot of ways, right? Because I don't ever want to go into any relationship, a marriage, a friendship, uh, even my kids in a lot of ways. Like I want to teach and I want to rear them but I want to change who they are fundamentally. So, I mean, looking back, you know, let's definitely get into how to recover from a trauma or a divorce. But is there anything that you've learned going through your divorce um, that might help anyone else that's looking to save their marriage? Absolutely. Well, the number one need that is universal of every human is to be loved unconditionally. And that's to be loved for who you are, exactly who you are, all the good of you, all the not so good of you, all the bad. We just want to be seen and loved for exactly who we are. And if you think about the people you know in your life who love you for who you are, they don't judge yes. you, they don't criticize you. You just love them. Like even as a kid, you knew the parent, the coach, whatever, who just loved you for who you were. And that's what everyone wants. So love people that way, but it starts with self-love. The people who are the most judgmental and critical of others, it's mm. because they're the most judgmental and critical of themselves. The number one need beyond unconditional love that a man has is to be respected. The number one need that a woman has is to feel secure. So everyone wants to be respected men or loved. Men want to be respected. Women want to feel secure. And you get in this ugly cycle. Because let's say, for example, um, the woman does something to disrespect the man. Now the man does something to make the woman feel insecure. <laughs> and then mm, it, Like spiteful. And this ugly, and it's not even necessarily intentional or there's no awareness of it, but it's just a reaction. Like, well, she didn't respect me. I'm going to you know, go stay out at the bar a little bit later. And then she's like, well, why isn't he home? Where is he? 
uh, oh, he's at the bar now. I don't feel secure. And now you've got two hurt people who continue hurting each other in whatever that looks like in, in your relationship. But I'm all for, you know, counseling. Um, for me, a core value is faith. I think if you don't have that, it makes it just about impossible <laughs> to to get through a relationship without faith. But in terms of the the levers, one of them is identity. Like if your okay. identity isn't anything in this world, it's fleeting and it can go in a moment. So my marriage got taken away. My kids were at the point mm. where they had driver's licenses. They had, you know, boyfriend, girlfriends. They were had little jobs and they were going off to college. So who I was at a, as a mom completely changed in that same season. I was in a beautiful neighborhood, gated, golf course, million dollar home, all of that. That all changed. Um, yeah, so cool. if you're lining up who you are with being a spouse, being a parent, uh, where you live, what you drive, I mean, any of the worldly things, it can all go away in a moment and you can really lose yourself. So you need to know where your identity is. For me, again, it's in my faith. That's immovable. And that's where my hope and you know my encouragement is. Yeah, so let's get let's yeah. get into that a little bit too, because I think this is really important. And and one of the things that we see all the time now is, and it's kind of fun, right? It's like you see these people getting married, and then they combine their two names to make one name, and like that's their identity. It's the whole like, you know, I, I'm old, right? So it's like okay, well, Benifer or Brangelina, right? When you're going back to like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, but I think it gets to the core of what you're saying because. It's taking two individuals and combining them, and it's now their identity, their name. What's more personal than a name? And you're saying, okay, you don't have your own name anymore. Now we're Brangelina. And it's taking that individual identity and, and putting it into the marriage itself. So, I mean, how do you advise anyone to strengthen or hone in or lean into their own individual identity while still valuing the relationship and the partner. Yeah, I mean, you really need to take a deep dive into who you are. You know, why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? What is my purpose? Mm. And, you know, that stands alone. I mean, that happens between you and if you believe in God, I hope you do. I mean, that's like between you and God. Like, He has a purpose and a plan for your life, and that's why you're here. So you need to be as whole, as strong, that you can as a person so that you can show up for the other person. And then when two come together, it's supposed to unite you. So we're supposed to bring out the best in each other, but we're also supposed to bring out the worst in each other. And by that, I mean, um, oh, let's wow. say you're, you're jealous and you don't realize you're jealous. And I point out, I'm like, you know, what? you keep looking at what the other guy's got a new motorcycle or you keep looking. And I'm supposed to lovingly call that out in you so that it, it becomes apparent to you and it's something that you can decide to work on or not. But that's what spouses are supposed to do. I want to bring out the best in you. I want to encourage you. I want to stand up and provide and support and all those things. But I'm also there to go, you know what? You're really comparing yourself or, you know, whatever the thing is to pull that out too. So that's what it's supposed to be like. And so our identity as a person um, is between us and God. And then as, as a couple, again, we don't, we only all get today. <laughs> so you want to be the yeah. best person first, the best spouse, second, the best parent, third, you need to prioritize those things. And sometimes there are seasons like parenting is typically 
really 15 years, you know, that you have some good amount of influence and then hopefully you're still imparting wisdom. You may lose them for a few years at, you know, 18, 19, <laughs> 20, 25, they come back a little, but there's seasons and, um, you need to identify what's the most important, urgent priorities for me to do in this season, but always being the best you I mean, developing, investing in yourself is one of the greatest mm. things. And even in the marriages that I coach where they're kind of falling apart and the one person really wants it and the other one doesn't, a lot of times the advice I give them is work on you. Be the best version of you. And you'd be surprised when that spouse starts to see, wow, she's more joyful. She's happier. She's, you know, putting on some lipstick and combing her hair again. She's what you know, working on herself, it changes. You have to do something different sometimes to to, you know, blow it up if it's not going well. That's crazy. It's counterintuitive in a way where it's like you you almost feel like if you're working on yourself, it's a, self, it's a little selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love what you're saying because if you're working on yourself and you're and you're creating the best version of you in your life, then obviously you're going to be happier. And if you're happier and you're more grateful, we talked about gratitude. Well, then you're going to have a, a more enjoyable temperament, and then you're probably going to get along better with the people that you're surrounding yourself with, specifically your your spouse and and children. So, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, tell me more about that. Yeah. So the self love is so important because again, you can't give what you don't have. So if I don't love myself and I feel unlovable and I feel mm. unworthy, and how can I give love to you? If I'm rejecting myself, <laughs> so if I'm rejecting me, how can I possibly love you? And it just leads to more dysfunction. So stop the self-rejection. Start loving yourself. Stop criticizing yourself. Um, stop self-sabotaging. Stop self-judging. Stop you know, being the victim. If you're doing all that to yourself, which is all in your brain, it's all in your head, and then what you think becomes your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your identity, and now if you're this person who thinks I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, and I'm a victim, which means I have no control in my life, how can I give love to another person? Like I have to fuel myself with love in order to give it. I, when I get squeezed, when things get stressful, whatever's inside me is what comes out. So if there's joy inside mm. me, if there's peace inside me, if there's love inside me, that's what comes out. But if there's bitterness, resentment, anger, um, you know, just ugliness inside me, when the pressure hits, when things get tough, that's what comes out. But if I'm taking care of me by doing that morning routine, or I have a girl's day or a spa day, or, you know, time in nature, um, breath work, meditation, I take a fitness class, whatever. Now I'm refilling myself with good things that I can give to my spouse. I'm going to be more patient when I'm coming from a place where I'm feeling love. Yeah. So if someone is going through this self-sabotaging cycle, you obviously um, have have spoken to a lot of different couples, individuals, and you did you did have a couple different action items that they utilize. What would you say like the single most important actionable item could be to break this cycle and start thinking with more gratitude or or more self-love? I would say forgiveness. This was probably one of the last lessons for me on my journey of healing. And obviously it's for a lifetime, but really what moved the needle was I obviously needed to forgive my ex-husband and, um, 
the biggest part was actually forgiving myself because I felt like such a failure. Like, how could this happen to me? I did all the things right. And how's this happening? But I was holding my own feet to the fire and I was burning myself. <laughs> like, okay, why am I doing this? this is crazy. So I had to go, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to forgive myself. I'm going to have this whole new beginning and I'm just going to create this atmosphere of forgiveness where ultimately I pre-decide to live a life of pre-forgiveness. So before I even get offended, like why am I getting offended so easily? I'm going to live this life of pre-forgiveness. So I pre-decide that I'm not going to judge people. I pre-decide I'm not going to criticize myself or other people. I pre-decide I'm not going to be a victim. I decide ahead of time, no matter what is going on in the government, the economy, you know, the virtual world, whatever, that I'm not going to let it affect me, that I'm going to create a win-win. Now I do that to the best of my ability. It doesn't mean I don't fall or make a mistake sometimes, but even someone cuts you off, something as silly as that, like, no, my piece is way too expensive <laughs> to let someone who, who knows what's going on in their life? They got a sick baby in the car. They're trying to get to the hospital. I don't know what kind of day they're having. Or that friend who just calls you and, you know, blasts you for no reason. You're like, what in the world was that? I go, you know what? I have no idea what's going on in her world right now. I'm choosing not to receive that. I love her. I'm going to forgive her. I may have to set a boundary with her and, you know, discuss it later. But my peace and my joy is just way too expensive. So I'm going to live in a place of forgiveness. I'm going to be fast to forgive. And I'm going to try not to even be offended in the first place. Again, it doesn't mean you don't guard your heart. It doesn't mean you don't have safe boundaries with people who are not safe. Don't be you know, a victim. But it's just a great way to live when you can forgive the past. Otherwise, you're, you're a total victim. Yeah, it's almost that... Um like stoic personality, right? Like, have you looked into stoicism at all? Tell me a little bit more. I think I know what you're talking so, about. Yeah. So stoicism is, um, it was, uh, it's, it's like an ancient philosophy, somewhat Eastern, um, really spearheaded, uh, like the, the godfathers of stoicism are like Marcus Aurelius, um, Seneca. And it's just this idea that you are only in control of your actions and thoughts and anything that happens external to those, um, you shouldn't give much time or effort to. And, uh, and I love the idea of stoicism because it's the ultimate accountability for your actions and thoughts, right? Like no matter what happens to you, you can only control your reaction to it or your preparation for it. And you can't get, you can get caught off guard, but you can't like blame anything other than your own actions and reactions to things. I agree with that. Yes. I mean, I am all for being responsible as best you can, you know, be able to respond, be response able. Um, mm. But you also sometimes just need to keep emotions out and keep things really matter of fact. Like for example, I've got two kids in college right now. And so you know, they think they're independent, but really they're still dependent because, you know, mom's paying the tuition and, and so and so. And so there's this dance and I'm just really matter of fact about a lot of things like, okay, if your grades are passing, then I'll continue to pay, you know, tuition and car insurance and room yeah. and Wi-Fi and phone and all those things. But if you don't have a passing grade, then, you know, I'm not going to pay that. So I just keep it, re I don't get emotionally attacked. Like you, what are you doing that you're not 
past thinking and how, how come, you know, why did you go out to the football game? You should have studied calculus. And it's just really matter of fact, you know, they don't have to be emotional about it. And, you know, I just make it really clear. So, um, it makes it simple where you just don't attach emotions. You make it pretty simple. doesn't mean don't love, don't have emotion, but some things are just matter of fact and it makes it easy. No drama, no gossip, no, you know, catastrophizing, but just take responsibility. Yeah. So obviously all these, all these statistics, you know, you can read about any statistic and it's different every bit everywhere. I've seen um, the ranges between, 39 and 56% of marriages end in, end in divorce. So obviously like, you know, a lot of people that you do know, a lot of couples that you come across are going to end up divorced. And obviously this is kind of your passion right now. So how do people get over the trauma of divorce and really begin to pick up the pieces and move forward? Like what are the pillars yeah, that's a great that. question. So the the identity is one because now you're not identifying as a husband or a wife anymore. You're mm-hmm. identifying as a single person and, and being okay and really strong in that. The forgiveness is another because if you're living in unforgiveness, again, it's toxic. It is just victim place to live. You're never going to get past it if you can't forgive. Um, renewing your mind. You really need to release the past, forget the past mm-hmm. and start to visualize what the future could be like and it could be amazing and it could be you know just get so i in fact this morning i was writing in my dream journal i have my vision board right here i'm always looking at it and just get vivid about it get visual and get vocal and get vulnerable and um just imagine yourself walking in the victory of what this future could look like and it's so you know just valuable and fun and enjoyable and virtuous and all that so you need to rewire the, the brain just like has these tracks and you start talking about your ex or start talking about how unjust it was or whatever your brain knows how to tell your body. Okay. Start feeling sad. And so you have to stop telling those stories at some point. So you have to start creating new stories. So renew your mind, rewire your brain, put good things in, you know, read the stories and success habits where you can see people overcame hard stuff, whether it was a divorce or something else. You can get back up again. You can overcome hard things. The people who have done the greatest things have overcome some of the most challenging things physically, financially, emotionally, and you know the underdog can totally get ahead or not. It's a choice. So renewing your mind, um, work on the self-love, the gratitude. We talked about that. Also, mm. I would say divine health. So even if it's like everything else in your world is blown up, you have the one thing you do have control over is your health. We know that like 90% of your health you have control of. There's obviously some anomalies and accidents, but they're small and they're rare. So even if you feel like, Oh my goodness, I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know what I just destroyed my kids' lives. I've got to move. I got, I don't know if I can keep my job, all that, but you're the one who controls what passes your lips. (laughs) You're the one who controls what you drink, how you sleep, um, so if you can get your physical in a great, healthy place, what I call divine health, so you're intuitively eating, you're intuitively um, sleeping, mm. breathing, moving, just the way you're designed to do it, not the way the world comes at you, but you're intentional about how you move, eat, sleep, breathe, think, all those things, 
when you get the physical right, it's amazing that the emotional, the financial, I mean, even if you look at triathletes who are some of the most elite athletes, they earn more money. Um, if you look really? at, they do. Yeah. The average income of a triathlete is $139,000, which obviously is above the average income of an individual person. So there's so many connections and part of, you know, the new success, it's not just money. It's not like the guys back in the eighties that had, you know, the big bellies and they were stressed out and they're all gray and wrinkled. And No, if you look at some of the top successful earners, physical success is part of that. Like they don't want to have the big bellies. They want to look good and be fit and be youthful and, and age slowly and have energy and live vibrant years. So if you can get the physical part down, the other things will start to ripple out and you'll get, because now you're sleeping better. Now you're nourishing your body. So you, you can think, you know, you're, you're rested and you're strong and you're not injured. You're not in pain and you're not going to the doctor. And so get the physical part down. Um, and then, you know, the wealth creation I mentioned too, be wise about your money. You know, my goodness, these could all be individual podcasts, but yeah. Stop spending, stop overspending, go get a side hustle if you need to figure out a way to, you know, invest wisely. And then I would say the last part um, in that is celebration. Like it's not all mm. hard. It's not all struggle. It's not all, you know, just uphill, difficult, you know, being in the valley and trying to fight your way. No, you have to find things to celebrate, find things to be happy about. Um, and set it up. So when you do check a box, go, you know what, I'm going to go take a walk around the lake. If you you know want to do it, not on a budget, there's a ton you can do not on a budget and just get out in nature and take your feet off and walk in the grass and, you know, do something to not just go, okay, what's the next thing on my list? Okay. Okay. It's exhausting and it's no fun. So build in fun, um, find fun friends. Connection is so important. Community is so important. Yes. And especially when you're going through something traumatic and especially when you're going through specifically if that trauma is a divorce, I would imagine, because a lot of times when when people are going through a divorce, not just their own personal identity um, is, is kind of under attack, but everybody they've hung out with. I mean, I would imagine you being in a relationship for 25 years Everyone you knew, hung out with, your neighborhood, your kids' uh, parents, I would imagine a lot of them were still couples. And it must be really hard to find a community in a network that isn't already, I guess, um, established with your, with your past. I mean, talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, a lot of my, I mean, weekends were hard for a long time because weekends were always about family, no matter what the week mm. looked like. And then Sundays were hard. And I almost didn't leave the house for about a year on Sundays because I'd go to church and it seemed like everyone was yeah. a couple. And I go to the grocery store and it was all families and couples. And everywhere I went on a Sunday, it just made me so sad. So I stayed home and I really worked on myself until I was able to go out on a Sunday and feel great. <laughs> and it didn't matter who was there or who wasn't there. Or I stopped noticing, oh, everyone seems like couples. We have something in the front of our mm -hmm. brain called the RAS, the reticular activating system. And it zeroes in on what you're focused on. So now, you know, I don't see that as much, but I had to really work on, you know, making that happen. And you have to be intentional about finding single friends or, you know, friends that are couples, but the husbands travel on the weekends or, 
you know, you don't feel like a third wheel. If they genuinely invite you out, they want to be with you. You should go. And so, um, you know, if you're really feeling like a victim and you don't want to be the, you know, the Eeyore, the downer at the party, then maybe you shouldn't go, go, you know, stay home and work on yourself, read a book, listen to a podcast, a Ted talk, whatever. Um, but don't do that for too long. You will regret that. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's been seven years. I'm still sitting home on the weekends. Go out, find a singles group. Yeah. It feels weird. It feels awkward. You can't believe this is the season of your life when you're doing this. But as you said, about 50% of first marriages do wind up in divorce. And there's a lot of people that are sitting home and they're lonely and they're hurting. So be the initiator, call them, invite them. Maybe they say no 10 times, but on the 11th time, they're like, yeah, you know what? Let, let's, yeah, let, let's go meet downtown and have coffee or, you know, let's go for a walk or go do yoga or whatever. Keep inviting, be the one who's proactive and um, you'll find your new tribe. And don't get offended when they say no, because it's just life and they're busy. Some of them do have, you know, husbands, yeah. families, and they're involved with kids. And that's okay. Don't take it personally. Go make your own fun or find new friends. Yeah. Kelly, your, your experience is phenomenal. And I, I think it's important for people to understand just how successful you have been in your life. I mean, you obviously graduated with a bunch of degrees. You were a successful business owner, manager, and then you took a step back and you're a successful entrepreneur, mom. And then look, you you did come across some adversity and you're now overcoming that as well. I mean, you're a best-selling author of multiple books and specifically your most recent book, Success Habits of Super Achievers. And one of the common principles in that book is that people go through adversity and you must overcome it. So I want to know three things if anyone is going through adversity, trauma, whatever it may be in their life, what are the three most important things today that they can actually check off their list to turn their life from traumatic to super achiever? Yeah, I would say you you have to get help, whether it's professional help, like everything you have in your life right now is a result of everything you know and every decision you've made. So if you wanted to get better, you need something additional. So it might be counseling, it might be a group, it might be a recovery class, something, but get help. These are professionals, they're experts, they know how to do it and move you along quicker. Um, If you're a woman who is going through divorce and separation or post-divorce, and you want to join my free private group, it's intentionallyfabulous.com, but get help. There's a lot of help out there. Um, I would say get connected to people because community now is more important than ever. And you just need the encouragement. You need to be around real people. We've been so isolated. So do what you can to get connected to community. And I would say, you know, the, the last one, the barometer that I use, the lens that I look through for life, for every decision that I make is to let love win. That's always my goal. That's how I make my decisions. That's how I live my life is love winning. So the highest possible good that could happen in this situation, that's what I would like to see happen. And that, that's what I go for every day. Wow, that's so beautiful. And I have three final questions that I that I always ask everybody at the end of every podcast. I love I love your message. I love your mission. I love what you're doing. Um, where can people find you, Kelly? 
um, Kelly with an I, kellycalabrese.com. And if they want a free copy of the Success Habits of Super Achievers book, you'll see on the website, it says free ebook. Go right there and you will automatically get a copy of that book. Um, Facebook is Kelly Calabrese, uh, intentionallyfabulous.com. If they're interested in joining that community, um, they can do that there. Awesome. Final three questions. You are a best-selling author, but what is the most impactful book that you have ever read? Uh, that's a great question. Well, I would say the Bible is absolutely the living word. Like every time you read it, you get something so amazing out of it. Um, but besides that, my friend Kevin Weaver wrote a book called Reorient, and it's about thinking differently. It's about the mm. way things are really designed to be. And we've just let culture kind of come in and, and skew our um, just thoughts and the way that things are done. It's called Reorient. Reorient. Great. And then I love this question because it gives so much insight into the person that I ask. Um, if you could have a drink, doesn't have to be alcoholic, with anybody past or present, who would it be? What would you drink and why? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I only drink water, but it would be really good alkalized water. <laughs> um, hmm, great question. Wow, I don't know that I've thought about this one. I know so many amazing people that I'm I'm blessed to be with already. One of my favorites right now who's really doing amazing things. I don't know if you know Nick Vujicic. He was born with no arms and no legs. He's a personal friend of mine. Um, he's opening up a bank, he's spoken in 40 countries. Um, he just has a great message and a great mission, a great heart. He's married to one of my dear friends. Um, so he is, he is a friend, but anytime I get to spend with him, uh, his um, website is Life Without Limbs and Life Without Limits. He has several books. He's on TV. Um, but I just, I love his heart and talk about an overcomer born with no arms and legs and world-class guy. I do think I've seen some of the like YouTube videos and, and speeches that he's given really, really powerful personality. Um, and guy, that's, that's awesome. And last question is the whole every breath counts mindset podcast. It's all about, like we've talked about a lot today, overcoming adversity, optimizing your life, having gratitude and, and living life to the limit. So how do you make every breath count in your life? That's a great question. Well, I am really intentional that we only get today and today will never happen again. And we should make the most out of it and absolutely live with no regrets. And I am intentional about breathing the power of breath work. There was times where I was holding my breath and not even breathing when I was so stressed and my mm. mouth would just like pop open to gasp for air and I don't ever want to be there because every heartbeat and every breath does count. So we do need to make the most of it. I have a word of the year every single year. And my word for this year is meaningful. So I don't want to do anything unless it's meaningful. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste a breath. I want to do things that make a difference. What a beautiful mindset. Kelly Calabrese, thank you so much for your time. Guys, go out. If you are grieving, reach out to her, kellycalabrese.com. Check out the book, Success Habits of Super Achievers. Guys, be intentional, 
let love win and make every breath count. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I can't articulate how grateful I am for you. If this episode was inspiring, motivating, or educational, it would mean the world to me if you hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen and left a positive five-star review. And if you want to learn about new episodes as they come out, check out my Instagram at Every Breath Counts Podcast and sign up for my newsletter at Every Breath Counts Podcast. Have a great day and make every breath count.